by providing additional generating assets on the grid in a more distributed fashion, you, you provide that, that, that network, uh, that system of systems approach rather than um, a, a large distribution network that's fed by one or two uh, central power sources. You, you've strengthened it by, by giving up the load amongst multiple distributed power sources. So we very much like uh, what we've done here. We, we've gained, I think, a pretty good reputation with industry as, as uh, being prepared to think different. We've uh, set up the resources in a centralized fashion here at, at my office and, and also in Bob's office next door uh, to have uh, people that speak finance, people that speak engineering, people that speak um, natural gas, CHP, renewables, uh, battery storage, and we've, we've got a, a sufficient uh, critical mass, we think, to, to make a difference. When you get your typical Army installation, they're just not going to have that critical mass of, of skills um, or the tools in their toolbox uh, or, or the charter, frankly, to help facilitate larger scale projects like this. So we think we, we bring a, a very interesting value proposition to people that are looking for new ways to make themselves money, and we might be able to facilitate that because it provides uh, both direct and indirect benefits to the Army. With the, uh, uh, the, the new administration on board, people always presume that there's, you know, there's a whole new game afoot. I would like to say there, there is not a new game afoot. There's, there's the same game afoot. Uh, we've been interested in security and resiliency uh, ever since this office was formed, and we've been following where investors want to invest their money. They were investing in renewables because uh, that's, that's where they needed to invest. There was a, a portfolio standards at the state level that were encouraging and incentivizing that investment, and there was money to be made there. So that's where the investment was going. Um, I think it's, it's no secret that there's not that much additional generation demand out there. What it is, there's, there's a switching demand to switch existing generation, uh, either as it retires or as it becomes economically unviable, to uh, different generation sources. And that's where renewables has uh, made big grounds, but also now natural gas. And then the, the real newcomer, which is uh, large-scale energy storage, primarily in the form of batteries. So, so our game is the same game but it's the world around us that's evolving, and we're doing our, our best to react to that and uh, position ourselves to, to, again, to take advantage of, of these opportunities, but also to help other people find uh, excellent opportunities to make investments in building out new private infrastructure. With that, I'll, uh, I'll stop, and that's, that's kind of a summary of where the, where the OEI is at lately, and I'll turn it over to my colleague, Bob, here. So this is, uh, like how Mr. McGee put it, this is the voice of Bob Hughes for the next couple minutes. <clears throat> Thank you to Sammy for inviting us to uh, talk to this. They have been great partners for a long time, and I appreciate the invitation to speak to you today over this. Over the last few years, there's been a lot of discussion regarding the security of our infrastructure in a broad sense, and specifically our power supply. Whether or not you are chasing renewable goals, alternative energy supply, focused on green, concerned about climate conditions, terrorism, cyber attacks on control systems, etc., there's a renewed focus on the issue or the potential issue, and we're all adapting to focus on that addition, or on that, uh, on that issue. So the mission of the United States Air Force is to win in airspace and cyberspace. We cannot do that without energy, both operational energy, as in jet fuel, and facility energy, as in electrical. The U.S. Air Force Office of Energy Assurance was established in 2016 to address the facility energy component. As I'm sure we're all we all know we fight our nation's conflicts from multiple locations across the globe. Communications through fiber, cellular technology, satellite technology allows the incredible flexibility to not put all airmen directly in harm's way. It can be done from various locations, some disclosed and others not. 
the key link to making this strategy work is an uninterruptible availability of electrical energy where and when we need it. And the key is the where and the when. We can have it all the time, uh, but there might be that five-minute period where you absolutely need it and you can't lose it. So our vision statement is the world's greatest air force powered by airmen, fueled by innovation. Although the statement has remained consistent for several years, we're now finally seeing the acceptance of innovation and technology in our solutions for providing a consistent and reliable energy source. I say acceptance because for decades, we have relied on diesel generators to provide the reliable backup source of power for, for select facilities, only select facilities. And as our Air Force bases become more reliant on the nation's electrical grid, our approach was to back that up with diesel gen sets. They also provided backup power for base infrastructure failures and outages, but emergency backup is all they were maintained to provide power for. As all infrastructure ages, it tends to degrade and provide less reliability. And we have seen that with our once shiny new diesel gen sets. So time for a change. Enter the technology advancements. Now, Mr. McGee mentioned most of those about how we're changing. We're trying to get off of the one-size-fits-all approach in the Air Force. How only one diesel generator per, uh, per important facility, define uh, important facility any way you want to, but that, that was our policy. So here, here's our change. The, the world has evolved, the technology has evolved, and we now have to bring that into the fold. And we're doing it with utility-sized uh, generation, hopefully on the installation. So in the perfect world, a utility company will own the asset, develop the asset, finance the asset, operate the asset, be able to use it to uh, supply their rate-based paying customers and then turn it to uh, our mission when we need it at the most critical time. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to approach. Now, that's the perfect world. That doesn't take away the other tools that we have in the box, like uh, ESPCs or UESCs, or even working on a PPA now and how it's going to bring resilience to a certain substation. So the technology has made it more interesting. Uh, it has changed the focus of the deal. Uh, the policy may or may not be written by service yet, but we are heading in a direction consistent with the current administration to focus on security and reliability and bring resiliency to our energy needs at certain locations. Now, we haven't graded the bases, so I don't want anybody to think that we've gone out there and made this magic list of most important to least important. But we do have to realize that certain missions uh, if maybe at certain times are going to be more critical uh, in terms of location. And those will be the ones we try to target first. Um, like I said, it's not done, uh, but we talk about it every day. And industry asks us every day, where do you want to go next? Right now we have a blank slate. We're still looking at like 16 different Air Force bases across the country uh, with a top four or five uh, high-priority projects that you will see uh, interest coming out very soon, if not already on the street. So the policy has to change. Uh, the project's got to be resilient. They've, they've got to provide the security that, that we uh, demand, that our missions demand, and it has to directly be tied to an Air Force mission set. And so with that, I think we'll turn it over for questions. This, or, this, is, this is Mike. I'd like to bounce off of something that, that uh, Bob said as well, uh, to give you a peek under, under the tent a little bit for Army. So, so in any uh, in any context, it seems the Department of Defense we're always we're always struggling to to adequately resource the needs um, 
with an inadequate uh, supply of resources. And, and uh, so this becomes a, a challenge for basically what ultimately ends up as a prioritization uh, requirement. So in addressing resiliency requirements, the Army has taken steps to better position itself outside of our office, but with support from our office to identify where its priorities should be in terms of resourcing. And, and some, of, some of you or your colleagues perhaps have asked about what are the, what are the Army's priority installations. And so the Army has been working to um, develop a better understanding of, I'll, I'll call it residence installations, its requirements, because like the Air Force, um, we prefer to focus on the mission set first, that's a prioritization driver, and then look at how that mission set is supported by infrastructure evaluate whether that infrastructure is adequate to meet the mission requirement, and then address any gaps as a matter of priority. So that's what the Army is currently doing. Um, we, have, we have been more opportunistic in the past because we've been following where people want to invest their money, as I mentioned. We're trying to steer that now that we've got a, a better sense of, of how to uh, approach investors and to try to tackle those, those higher priority issues. Um, what, you, what you won't hear from us is a specific list of where those priorities are for, for maybe some obvious security reasons. But I will tell you, as you see our projects evolve over the next uh, year or two, you could probably feel in there uh, there's a prioritization scheme that's being applied. We want to address our, our most pressing requirements first uh, and then address anything else uh, that we can after that. So the, um, the Army imposed upon itself a new requirement to um, assure energy and water uh, for all critical missions for a minimum of 14 days. Uh, we left that pretty open, as the services tend to do, because we want to leave commanders the discretion to, to, to best decide how to do that. Um, knowing that they may not have the tools to do that, even if they have the knowledge of what's best to do, that's where we come in. But we, we allow them to make the first move and, and say, this is the mission that is most important to me, and this is the specific mission set on my installation that's most important. So we've been... Uh, uh, coming up uh, right underneath of that and getting as close to that as possible um, to look at the Army's assessment of where its priorities are. And then we're looking at what are the tools in the OEI toolbox that can help those installations and mission commanders address those priorities. As Bob mentioned, that, that may not look like um, only one tool or one tool that we've used very well. We're looking at all tools now in OEI. We're, we're looking at partnering with our other program leads at Headquarters Army and the Land Holding Commands to see if the best tool may be uh, utilities privatization, if the best tool may be some sort of a, uh, ESPC uh, configuration, maybe a UESC configuration. Um, it may not be the land-based deals and in some cases the um, power purchase agreement deals that we have done uh, rather successfully in the past. So we're looking at all the tools in the toolbox to see if we can come up with the best fit. And finally, because this question seems to come up, um, people always ask, is the Army ready to put its own skin in the game in terms of um, funding some of these projects? And the answer is yes. Uh, the Army always has been ready to do that. It's not exclusive that these projects have to be uh, funded with private in investment only, but that usually results in something like component A is funded this way, component A is funded that way, or co component B rather is funded that way. And so we're seeing uh, where we need to couple uh, appropriated funds with other types of uh, resourcing, whether it be through ESPCs or whether it be through direct private investment. We're looking at appropriated funded activities as well 
as a companion to, to build out that full resilience. I kind of think of it as the, as the Lego blocks. You know, Lego block B might be um, ESPC, Lego block C might be ERSIF, Lego block A might be private investment. And we can build out a, a solution that uh, optimizes the resources that are available to include private investment. So um, Bob gave, gave a great setup there, and I wanted to, to uh, jump on that while, while we had the chance. Okay, so I think we're done uh, here with our question. Yep. yep. First of all, let me just tell you that that, that was a that was a great overview, and I think it uh, it really captures kind of the the kind of kind of the program direction that you're looking. Obviously, there's some specifics, and I think as uh, I think you indicated, as projects come out, it's very indicative of where your priorities are, uh, and I think that's going to be uh, I think that'll be uh, good to see that evolve and. And I appreciate you kind of addressing, uh, Michael, at the end there, a little bit on prioritization of that one, because that's one of the things that when you have limited funding, uh, you've got continuing resolutions, what are your priorities? And I think you addressed that very well from that perspective. So I appreciate that. Um, and, and obviously, you've got some great challenges. And you both, uh, uh, the Air Force and the Army, uh, from your discussions of those previous deals you have, your focus now, um, really appear to be evolving and getting a much more sophisticated energy program. And so, uh, you know, the folks on our committee applaud that, uh, industry applauds that. Uh, and so a couple of questions before I open up to the main group is, you know, you talked about a couple of different technologies in there. You talked about CHP, you talked about battery storage, you talked about other things. But what do you think has the most promise or that you're looking to, what technology are you looking to most uh, as it develops that might have the most positive impact and support to the uh, to the missions. All right, so this is this is Mike. I'll take a first stab at that. So we, um, your your um, SAMI members are probably well aware the the DoD, the Army is no different. Has has many opportunities to invest in the development of technology, uh, all the way from from basic primary research up through you know applied research, and then. Uh, demonstrating and validating equipment and, and then fielding that new technology and even participating in the tech transfer. So our office is is not really uh, uh, terribly useful in that domain. We like to apply technologies that are already fieldable, but but it is true that there are some areas where new technology is 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 coming out now. And, and frankly, a lot of the the new technology is 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 really older technology that's become better integrated. And, and the software aspect is is part of the reason for that success. So so it's not so much a brand new material science issue or or, or some new physical uh, operating principle that that has been uh, uh, invented. It's it's application. So with that idea in mind, the thing that's got us keenly interested right now is is the topic of battery storage. This is uh, manufacturing techniques and a focus on building out. Um, this particular technology in a in a in a more uniform standardized way that then is scalable up to a mass manufacturing type of environment um, to get to get the product price down to an affordable level and then apply those software controls that are probably where the real um, in my opinion where the real secret sauce is that that is that has the promise of of uh, a, a big revolution in terms of how we might configure a project. Our, our dependency on liquid fuels um, is probably pretty well known, and that has been the go-to solution for um, 
backup power to have, you know, take advantage of all that uh, near diesel equivalent of JP8 that tends to be around in the, to the tune of millions of gallons wherever we go in the DoD. So, so that was a great solution set. But, but the supply chain issues of making those millions of gallons happen, uh, we've got better understanding of 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 the downside of that and the impacts of that, uh, as well as the benefits of of taking advantage of that supply chain. And so we we view the the idea of coupling battery storage as a fixed supply chain asset that then could be uh, you know, used to extend some uh, diesel capability or other fossil fuel capability, and then also can be used to fold in this investment in renewable that I mentioned we, we see occurring everywhere. Battery storage is seemingly a, a, a real game changer, and the issue is getting the price down and getting the system standardized and where it's a, it's a routine application rather than um, a, a newfound one-off kind of application. So we see the promise there, and we're we're very excited about about that. I, I think that's probably the the thing we're paying attention to, with the most interest. So I I would agree. Um, the battery storage is changing everything. I'd also like to highlight that what Mike said about it's it's really the advancement. It's not it's not anything completely new. Uh, the I mean we've had ups on buildings for 30 years uh, in for a short period of time, and now we're talking with the advancements in, in the storage that that can last a lot longer, be a lot smaller, and uh, be configured in a way that's easier to maintain. So that is going to change what a lot of our options are in terms of how we get there. Uh, and Mike mentioned the Army has gone ahead and documented the 14-day requirement uh, for that. I mean, uh, we have not done that yet, Air Force-wise. There's lots of talks about it. It's, uh, it's perceived to be that way. So uh, we may or may not get there. When we started last year, we were talking about months. But in, in realistic, we, we need to be able to go for seven to ten days is what we're seeing, even after these significant hurricanes that have created so much devastation in the last couple months about the ability to recover and how fast that is. So battery storage is one. Uh, continuing with PV, uh, exploiting the natural gas phenomenon right now to be able to take advantage of that. And then there's some other things that are coming up with uh, DC distribution methods that some members from industry bring to us as ways to even do further off base things in a more secure way to, uh, to distribute power with DC. So there's, some, there's a lot of exciting things coming. Okay, thanks. I think that uh, captures it, and, and I and I know we've seen some advances in those areas. And I think uh, I think the earlier comment about uh, how, how do you one of the focuses of the SAME uh, Energy and Sustainability Committee is market transformation. Where I think you talked about how do you mainstream this? How do you get the production and the price down? And uh, and it's really adopting you know proven technologies, but they're still not widely adopted yet. So how do you make that transition? And and I and I know that uh, battery storage is becoming more and more prevalent, and uh, and, and clearly the when you open up for you know, different types of uh, energy sources from renewables to natural gas, you get that mix that might provide the best mission assurance uh, for both the Army and the Air Force. So that's uh, that's good feedback for our group, and I appreciate that. Um, so, so with that, obviously, um, one thing I'll just touch base this this group that uh, you're speaking with today. Most of us attend Energy Exchange, uh, and I know both of you spoke at Energy Exchange. I had a, a privilege of uh, listening to the, the the discussions 
Um, and I just wanted to kind of uh, open this up from your perspective. You you re readily lean on industry for uh, ideas and information, uh, and, and probably the uh, Air Force's Energy as Assurance uh, RFI, which just completed here. And I, I, Bob, don't worry, I'm not going to quiz you because I know you've just gotten them and you're just starting to look at them and digest them. But from a broader perspective, what 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 support from industry that you look for provides the most value? Sometimes you get support that might not provide as much value, uh, but I wanted to know what, from your perspective, what provides the most value to the Army and the Air Force uh, from industry? So this is uh, this is Mike again. So I, I think you know, first of all, it, you all you all drive everything. You drive you drive uh, the market. Uh, you drive where the where the financing flows. You, you can't drive regulation, but you certainly do your best to influence it. So so w where you're trying to go uh, is often going to be the path of least resistance. And so we're keenly interested in, in seeing where you're trying to go. Now you're, you're you're probably trying to go certain directions that optimize your your uh, financial gain or whatever the other objectives are for your for your particular firm uh, and interests of your shareholders. So we assume that you're you're, you're going where the best opportunities lie, and we're keenly interested in that as well because um, this is going to take resources no matter what we try. So, so what's, what's really neat is uh, you're, you become um, on the forefront of innovation as a result of that interest in addition to um, any, any research and development that your firms may be associated with or, or help you support, but, but in finding those areas where there's an arbitrage opportunity um, or where there is some other uh, new new angle that hasn't been uh, figured before. So an, an example of this that's been coming in the past uh, few weeks, I should say, into our office with some with some information briefings that we've been getting is is uh, people figuring out that uh, LNG, uh, liquefied natural gas, uh, without changing the technology, without having some new technology enabler, it's the economics of LNG has has uh, opened the doors to additional application that was not considered before because it was most likely economically prohibitive to try to get um, natural gas in, in its normal state into this particular location. But when you liquefy it, which is, you know, adds some cost, can be expensive, uh, you can take it other places that you couldn't take it before. Um, and frankly, one of those places right now that's, that's getting a look is all these different island communities um, that have been wiped out by hurricanes. Uh, maybe LNG makes new sense there that it may not have made before, not because of the hurricane, but because of the economic opportunity that's now opened up by, by plentiful and, and relatively inexpensive natural gas. So, so seeing where you're trying to go, um, looking at the way you innovatively think about um, pursuing new energy solutions for customers, that's the most value to us. So we like talking to you. We like meeting with you. We like sharing our stories with you and, and doing an information exchange with you. And we're conveniently located uh, as I often tell people, a 10-minute walk from the uh, Reagan National Airport. Not many people can walk to an airport, but we can. Uh, it's a 10-minute walk from here. And uh, we're in your nation's capital, and we meet with people all the time. And we like to hear about what you're thinking and how you're innovating, and that's, that's the kind of support that we find most valuable, keeping us up to date on, on various business models, um, keeping us up to date on maybe regulatory opportunities in the various states or, or other regions, and then also the way that you respond to our RFIs. We, uh, my office for sure, I think Bob will tell you the same, we're, we're, uh, 
we're very sensitive to to trolling. We we do not want to troll you with our RFIs. We are genuinely looking at where are the things that we've not thought about, and we have to do that in a manner that doesn't um, doesn't cause someone to 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 imagine that there is a there is a uh, unfavorable opportunity that's being given to one source. So RFIs allow us to open our questions and openly and transparently receive. Well, you know, not not everybody sees your input, but but to openly ask for input and get input from industry via the RFIs that um, allow you to share with us in, in a manner that allows us to to uh, to think differently than perhaps that we have. So your responses to RFIs are are, are very important. And um, and then finally, I would say that you know having sessions like this where we can do some back and forth with you, that's the kind of support that we need from industry. So really appreciate it, Bob. Yeah, I'd like to echo. It's 10 minutes from the Southwest Terminal. It's almost 15 to 20, though, from the American Terminal. So, <laughs> so it's still not a bad deal as long as the weather is good. So, um, uh, yeah, we open that up. We we, we meet with um, a lot of ESCOs primarily that will that come in and spend time. I've spent time with two today, as a matter of fact. So to exchange ideas and 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 to um, to, to try and push those through and get them incorporated into our projects. It, there's a couple of things in your question, though. It's interesting to me is uh, to even think of the military as how to mainstream it because uh, we usually like to wait. Uh, we have a tendency to want to try and figure out every potential opportunity for it to fail before we ever take a chance on it and uh, and want to keep trying to, to test it. But we're getting more involved uh, on the Air Force side uh, to learn from Army and also the Navy, but also with the uh, research lab and some of the things they do with uh, ESDCP and the technology transfers out there uh, to stay in touch with with what's what what may work, what may end up being a great resource for us. Um, but yeah, doors always open. We want to hear about it. The, the conferences are a way to stay engaged. Uh, and also to see where industry may have applied it to a, another large size company as a Google or an Amazon or anybody like that. So, and I won't answer the energy as a service RFI question, but I will put a plug in. There's an industry day coming in early November. I think it's on the 7th. So. Okay, great. That'll be your second industry day on that. I'm sure it'll be well received. Um, and I uh, just to follow on with a couple of things. I always, uh, from my time in uniform, I always like to look at leading edge technology versus bleeding edge technology. And I think, uh, Bob, I think that's where uh, one of your points there is going in. And, and I've made that walk across that bridge from National Airport over to Crystal City. It's not a bad walk uh, as long as it's not August in uh, in uh, D.C. So um, I do appreciate that for that. Um, hey, so let me at this point, um, let me go ahead and just pause for a moment and open it up to questions from the committee. Uh, obviously, you have to unmute your phone, but uh, let me just pause for a moment and see if we have any, uh, we've covered a lot of things, but just see if we have any questions from uh, from the group. And just a reminder, at the mute or unmute your line, it's star two. Hey, Admiral, this is Charlie Parham from Matrix Design Group. How are you? Hey, Charlie. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you uh, to both of our speakers today. Appreciate the insight. Um, 
my question is uh, with regard to priorities and the folks that don't quite make the cut. Um, uh, uh, as I understand it, the uh, guard and reserve installations haven't quite elevated to the right uh, level yet, and that's understandable um, because of your lack of uh, capacity. Um, but what we've seen in a few locations is installations that then jump to a solution without full analysis. And I'm wondering what advice you would give to installations that aren't going to make your priority list, but then they, uh, how would you suggest they proceed with the very important analysis that has to happen before critical decisions can be made on which technology to use? So, hey, Charlie, it's Bob. Um, great question. Uh, I, I don't have a specific example. I don't know if you do about uh, somebody that may be trying to solve the problem on their own, uh, as it, at least a couple of us have been, you know, in the base civil engineer seat, that's why that's why we were there, uh, is to try and solve all those problems, and we'll try and figure it out at the installation level. This is, this office is, one of its charters is to become a more holistic integrator of all of these solution sets so that installations don't have to go out there and, and, and chase their own resources and, and find their own solutions because um, there's, a, there's a lot of pitfalls in that. And uh, if you try and design your own uh, microgrid that with uh, smart controls and you, gotta, you get a, a authority to operate and all that kind of stuff, that just leads you down a long road of frustration. So well, we're going to keep trying to send the message out, uh, keep advertising our office. The policies are going to start uh, to, or to continue to flow. And it says use the OEA to help help do those uh, and to look at your individual issues and find proven solutions, hopefully. Uh, the guard and reserve bases are on there. I'm, I'm not going to cut them all out in a general priority statement because I have been in touch with both uh, leaders of the guard and the reserves and some of their installations, and it's all going to be tied back to the mission. So when Mr. Carell speaks at places, everything we do is gets tied back to a mission, uh, a mission thread uh, mission set, and then an installation second that, that supports that mission. So I, I don't know if that helped. Um, I hope so. <coughs> so, hey, Charlie, this is, this is Mike here. So, so I would add, to, from the Army's perspective, this this uh, prioritization issue that I talked about, which which I I, I, I believe gets at part of your question. Um, again, the the Army is taking a, a broad look at where its where its priority mission sets are. And the guard and reserve are completely in play in that review. And in fact, as I've looked at some of the the, the results of that, that's that's early on right now, but but is going to be headed to senior leadership for review pretty soon inside the army. Um, that that prioritization view uh, has some surprising guard and reserve uh, components to it. So as as we look at applying resources where the army needs it, um, maybe not necessarily where each individual installation believes. It is needed in the Army, but, but where the Army thinks it needs it, uh, the Guard and Reserve are completely in play. But, but I, would, I would say that uh, it, is, it is definitely true that, um, that it is more difficult at times to, to find a way to make some projects work at some of the smaller installations. And I think that's part of the issue that you see with the Guard and Reserve is they, they are often smaller. 
um, and their, their power demand is smaller. Um, their requirement overall is smaller, but that also means the ability to, to leverage or find some sort of arbitrageable component is also smaller. That is, if, if, if they're, they're paying a reasonable amount for power, but they only use a little bit of power, I really can't find a way to save them a whole lot of money that then in turn could be used to pay for some sort of a fix um, that, that could be folded into a, a project. Now, that doesn't mean that um, they don't get first bite at the apple for any heavy-duty requirement that needs appropriated funds. And I think that's, that's where they feel sometimes they wonder if they're getting uh, left out of the ballgame. But, but what I can tell you is our office has, with a focused effort, uh, specifically reached out to the Guard, uh, the Guard leadership and Guard installations to try to help them address what they believe their high-priority needs are, and same for the reserves. In fact, this morning I just spent uh, an hour and a half with... Uh, Army Reserve uh, Energy staff to to get a sort of a rundown on uh, which installations they're they're looking at for some additional work and how the OEI might be able to support them. So I would tell you we're we're doing what we can to help them with that. My office is centrally funded. Any analysis that we do uh, tends to be uh, funded by my office for the benefit of the project. Sometimes we 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 do things like NEPA with other people's money, but. But um, so we, we can help. So as you, if you're in contact with Garden Reserve installations, they have a high priority requirement. They're not getting an audience, perhaps, or they're wondering who to talk to. By all means, uh, point them our way, and um, or they can go through their leadership chain if they if they'd rather do that. But point them our way, and we'll we'll be glad to to take a call and hear if there's anything we can do to help them. Over. I have a question. If okay, you guys uh, have me uh, available. Okay, Bob and uh, Michael, thank you very much for uh, uh, for answering those questions and for your engagement today. Um, we really do appreciate your time, and uh, we respect it. Uh, but uh, it, it's really this kind of conversation that really uh, helps. You know, one of the things that we kind of set out for SAME and the Energy Sustainability Committee vision is that that as we are leaders in energy and sustainability, it's really with a it's a focus on the safety, security, and secure and uh, purity of the uh, military's built infrastructure, specifically the energy resources, and uh, and improving our national security. And I think you got a, a whole uh, industry of folks that, as much as I think you mentioned earlier, obviously we we watch the bottom line would do that, but you also have some individuals who uh, have been uh, spent their careers uh, uh, either in and serving or uh, in industry serving uh, the military engineer. So uh, we certainly do appreciate your time. Just understanding your perspective uh, definitely helps uh, us focus in order that we may do that to the very best. So um, with that, let me just go ahead and uh, thank you both for your participation today and thanks for all the coordination uh, today uh, and leading up to it from your staffs. It was great, uh, great coordination, great, great folks to work with. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, transition at this point to our uh, our normal committee meeting, which uh, will go fairly quickly. Uh, obviously, uh, Mr. McGinty, uh, you're all, both of you are welcome to uh, stay on for this, but we also recognize that you feel free to drop off as we go through the regular committee discussions. But again, thanks for your time today from uh, OEA and OEI, uh, both leaders in energy and sustainability uh, for the Army and the Air Force. Uh, thanks very much for all your participation today. All right, thank you from uh, from Bob, and I speak for Mike McGee, I think, as well. Thank you for the opportunity. I uh, appreciate it, and uh, definitely we'll look forward to staying in touch with Sammy. Right here. Thanks very much, and hope to uh, see you at the next conference. Uh, okay, so for the, for the rest of you, the folks, uh, 
on the on the email that I sent out setting up this one, uh, you have a slide deck for the uh, Energy and Sustainability Committee annual plan for this year. Uh, I won't go through too many of those slides, but uh, I kind of already talked about our committee vision, uh, very consistent with what we've done year to year. Uh, I did want to go down to slide four, which talks a little bit about our uh, committee organization. Uh, just, I'm not going to go through those names, but I'll, I will tell you that uh, uh, you've got myself as the chair, Dave Howe is the vice chair. Dave will become the chair next year as part of our succession planning. Uh, and then we constantly evolve the committee structure to kind of serve our needs. And you can see in there we've got governance and volunteer engagement. Bill Naughton is leading that. That's a new position for us. Uh, and then you see a couple of in there that we need co-leads to help uh, with public sector leads. If you're in the public sector, we're looking for someone to help Kevin uh, Lovell do that. Um, someone will help with our digital content, uh, communications, our awards programs. Uh, lots of great opportunities as well as um, opportunities to, uh, to be to select our presentations for JETSI and for IFMA for our call for papers. Uh, we do a panel review of those. We always look for people to help in those. Um, you know, just uh, I won't go over too much, but you saw in summary, uh, slide five will tell you kind of some of our accomplishments. We had a great 11 hours of energy related topics at JETSI a couple of great webinars, and the SME uh, IFMA conference in 2017 had a full energy track uh, and some, some great reviews from that. Um, uh, in the military engineer, you'll always see something on energy, uh, and then obviously we had one focused specifically on energy back in the, in the spring. Um, and one of the things we've done quite a bit of is uh, we've improved our communications and our support to posts. Michelle Seip from our committee has uh, created a network of uh, energy and sustainability POCs at the post. So if you're at a post, uh, please, uh, you know, make sure you can reach out to her to get those. And she's kind of initiated a newsletter to those uh, posts, uh, which has been also very well received. Uh, we are supporting the new Re Resiliency Committee. Um, and, uh, and so that we've established a liaison with that. Uh, and again, there's a good good synergy between our committee and the resiliency committee, so we're going to keep that uh, up in 2016, uh, 2017 and 2018. Um, a couple of our goals, really it's about providing great content uh, for all of you uh, at JETSI and at the other conferences. Um, and then uh, supporting to our regions and posts and developing their program content. We did that most recently for the, for the regional conference down in Jacksonville, which just held. Um, and then really just provide opportunities to engage our members in these activities, energy and sustainability activities. And, uh, and really everything we do is to try and achieve that vision that we, we at SAMA remain a leader in energy and, uh, and resilience going forward. Um, so going on to slide eight, I'll just talk very briefly about our, our work plan. Uh, you know, really it's energy assurance, mission assurance, uh, resiliency and market transformation. Uh, as we look into 17 and 18, our focus is going to be on communication, like this call today. Um, I will highlight that we're going to have the um, at the SME Small Business Conference uh, in Pittsburgh uh, coming up in November. Uh, we'll have an Energy and Sustainability Committee meeting in person. Uh, the details were in that email for that, but I will just tell you that that's going to be the place where we, we're going to use to kind of shape our our tracks, especially for JETSI and our committee focus, 
um, really building one of the public sector tracks that we would like to see. What would you like to hear from government and from uh, from the uh, military engineers as we kind of go forward? Uh, and then obviously, you know, education is about content at our workshops and at uh, at Jetsy, uh, and you know, we we've listed down there that uh, those same themes: energy mission assurance, resilience, and energy security, and market transformation. Uh, we heard today a little bit about energy of service as one of those market transformations. Uh, and then collaboration on slide 11, we talked through a number of things with that, but really it's liaison with different committees, expanding our outreach to other organizations like NASCO, AWE, uh, and then support to our regions and posts. Um, slide 12 gives you a little bit more details on those three primary themes. And, uh, and then, you know, I just kind of, uh, uh, kind of conclude with the, uh, uh, a couple of other things. Obviously, lots of opportunities to support the regions and posts. Uh, let me, uh, let me turn it over to Dave Howe, who's the vice chair, just for a couple of other thoughts and comments as we, uh, approach 2017, 2018 year. Dave? Okay. Hey, thanks, uh, uh Mark. And, uh, as everybody heard, uh, Admiral Handley went over the, uh, uh, our current, uh, committee leads, as you could see, there is opportunity to uh, to participate, and, and I'll tell you that even if you take on one of those lead positions or a co-lead, uh, one, it's a pretty enriching experience in terms of uh, your uh, in engagement with uh, with SAME. It's also not overly demanding. So if you're uh, if you're on the fence, I would I'd encourage you to go ahead and and, and lean in and jump in that uh, in that pool. Uh, Mark also mentioned the uh, upcoming IFMA workshop in San Antonio in February. Just so everybody knows, if you're thinking about uh, submitting for that, one, uh, you've got more than six days now to, to do it. The uh, call for papers had a deadline of the 10th of October that's been extended to the 17th of October. And uh, for, for all of you on the line, since you're interested in energy and sustainability, Take a look at uh, the Sami IFMA workshop website, and uh, although energy and sustainability is not a standalone track, that does not mean that energy and sustainability and mission assurance are not getting a uh, pretty prevalent attention in that conference. Under facility ops and maintenance, uh, one of the first uh, sub-bullets in that track is energy resilience and mission assurance. Uh, the second one is energy uh, resilience and security for mission assurance. So obviously a pretty prominent theme. So if you're thinking about submitting, do that. Uh, uh, and uh, our committee is responsible also for scoring the abstracts for facility ops and maintenance. And we've got a, a, a small committee form that will be uh, reviewing the call for papers uh, that uh, are submitted for that, uh, for that particular track. And uh, Mark, unless I'm uh, I'm skipping something, that was the extent of my remarks for today. Okay, thanks, Dave. Uh, and again, uh, you know, just kind of in summary, I think uh, it, it, we send you out the, the the presentation. It's got some of our contact information, and that's one. Uh, the other one, I think, is we'll uh, connect uh, Bill Naughton, uh be a key person as we look at our governance of our committee and really in volunteer engagement. Uh, so he's another great one for you to reach out to if you've got uh, uh, questions or if you're interested in getting involved and do that. Uh, but again, you know, we our committee has been in place for you know probably about six years now. Uh, each year we keep getting it a little bit stronger. So uh, 
but it's all about making sure that we provide the best content to you. So, so the last thing I would just kind of close with, if you are going to the SAME Small Business Conference in Pittsburgh in November, uh, I really encourage you to go to the uh, uh, to our committee meeting. It'll be a kind of a free flow and idea brainstorming session. Uh, if we get the like we did last year, if you were at it last year, we had probably I don't know 50 or 60 people in a room, and uh, we threw ideas, and it really helped us shape what we delivered at Jetsy uh, with uh, some great speakers and some great content uh, for that. So with that. Uh, with that, that'll be our next uh, next event for this committee. Will be the in-person meeting in November, and uh, I hope you all can attend. And I look forward to seeing you there. So I'll pause real quick. If there's any questions, uh, just go ahead and you can unmute. If you got any questions, I'll pause for a moment. See if there's any questions before we sign off for today. So again, start to unmute. <coughs> this is Charlie Serati. Can you guys hear me? We can, Charlie. Okay, great. I saw on April 18th that President Trump signed the executive order for the Buy American and Hire American Act, which ties to the Buy, existing Buy American and Trade Agreements Act. There was a deadline of 150 days for the agencies from back in the spring to submit their plan to the White House for how they were going to handle procurement. As a U.S. manufacturer of LED lighting, we're certainly interested in this initiative. Have you seen anything from the military regarding their plans? Because there was a call for potential waivers and, um, you know, certain types of lights in our case, like socket bulbs, are not typically made in the U.S. versus some of the things that we right. make. And I'm just trying to get a handle. I, I searched the web and didn't find anything out there. Are you guys aware of anything that, that the military submitted? Regarding that, Charlie, the I deadline was like the middle of, not, middle of September. We had, uh, we had OEA and OEI on a moment ago. We might follow up with them. But uh, anybody else on the line have uh, any uh, insight or uh, see anything come out of the administration or out of the services? I'll go ahead and do the do the follow up there then, and um, and I'll report back I can learn anything because it's going to be interesting what happens. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, I, I think regarding that, that, I mean, that administration. Yeah, as the administration uh, goes through a number of policy changes, it's always good to uh, get there. There's been a few, uh, you know, policy uh, starts and stops, and so it'd be interesting to see if this one is going to continue on. So that's a, that'll impact a lot of people in our industry. So, okay, sure. good. I'll, I'll circle uh, back okay, on what uh, I can find. Great, thanks, Charlie, and, and thanks for chiming in with Mr. McGee and Mr. Hughes. That was a good, very good question. So, uh, okay, any other questions from the group? All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for joining today. We appreciate it, and uh, have a great day. We hope to see you in Pittsburgh.